0: This Week in Wealth is powered by Alpha Wealth Group. If you're serious about retirement and have saved $250,000 or more, call Alpha Wealth Group's Tom Fortino now, 630-934-1855 or alphawealthgroup.com. Alpha Wealth Group,
1: retirement made simple. Good morning, Chicago. Welcome back to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glank, a financial journalist and CEO of Best Money Moves, my financial wellness company.
0: And I'm Tom Fortino. I'm the founder and principal of the Alpha Wealth Group right here in the Chicagoland area.
1: So glad you can join us at our new time, 7 a.m. We've been doing this for almost a month now, Tom, haven't we, at this new time?
0: Yeah, it's been great.
1: It's good. Sleep in a little bit. That You guys sleep in a little bit. If you want to talk with Tom or you want to ask us a question, call 630-934-1855. 630-934-1855. Or go to alphawealthgroup.com. And don't forget to pull out a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen uh, because we've got a whole bunch of great information for you this hour as well. All right, Tom. So I saw this article in the Wall Street Journal that basically asked the question, can marriage change your money habits? Now, Mm -hmm. you and I have both been married for many years, Mm two other people, and, you know, I'm wondering, do you feel like, you know, this story in the journal, and we'll talk a little bit more about what the research says, but... The story in the journal says, well, opposites attract, right? Mm -hmm. In love and in money. So I'm kind Mm -hmm. of wondering, since you and I are both in the business of money, do you feel like your spouse, um, is your money opposite or do you feel like she's (laughs) more similar to you and what happened over the years?
0: Well, there's, there's differences and similarities. I don't know if it's any that uncommon from anyone, you know, over time, you know, things change, but, uh, It is important, this whole concept of are you on the same page? Are you communicating? Because you can be married for many years, as we have been, and maybe never really take the time to step back and have these discussions and understand, hey, are we on the same page here? It's just like we have these conversations. I can't tell you how many times someone comes in and says, you know, I woke up one day and I was 62 and I was like, wow, I'm a few years away from retirement. And that can be the same with as it relates to, especially if you're married, there's someone else in this whole uh, retirement plan too, and this is really important stuff.
1: Well, it's sort of interesting because I, you know, I would say that Sam and I were always on the same page about money, um, except that we approach costs, big expenses, differently. Like he mm-hmm. never, you know, when I would go out shopping, he'd never actually ask me how much I'd spend. I mean, he would see it because the credit card bill would come in, but it was never like a, oh, you can only spend X and i think in my mother and grandmother's generation that would have been much more like you can spend x don't go over that right more Mm -hmm. like a you know an allowance for adults for example but sam and i have never been that we have very similar money values but the way we get to the same place is really opposite so Mm -hmm. if we're starting a big project like when we redid our house you know a million years ago you know, his first thing is, what's the budget? He always wants to know what we're going to spend. And then, then he'll back into what we can do for that. And I'm always about, let's dream big and figure it out. And then we'll pair it back to get to the number we want to spend, whether it's trips or it was the yeah. renovation or, you know, it's never about cars. We're neither of us are car people. But I'm wondering, like, you and your wife, like how, does, is that the same for you? Do you approach big money decisions differently or are you more on the same
0: page? I think we're more on the same page as far as looking at things. I just I'm that kind of person that even if I can afford it, I just principle comes in. It's like I'm just not going to spend that amount of money. I don't care, you know, on certain certain items whether it's a pair of shoes or a car, especially cars, you know, those types of things. So I just can't I just can't do it. And so it's it's more of a even if again, even if I can afford it, but I think what you said was very important to the extent when you talk about the dynamics of okay, here's the dream, here's the goal. Sam is more of, hey, let's have a budget or let's take a look at the numbers. You know, those are two important aspects of that when, when with couples. But so really, I would lean in towards the, we want to know our numbers. And I think the first step in this whole process is really, we've talked about it many times, at least financial organization, knowing your numbers. Because you may have certain goals and dreams and things you want to do, but I think all too often it's common in, in many cases we're just, you know, financial organization is one of the biggest obstacles to be able to, to pursue those things that you want to do in retirement. So that's really the first step in this whole process, I would say. If you're going to, going to going to sit down with your spouse, if you're going to start to put these things together, know what you have, know what you own, know where it's at. And that's where this really is, where I think the starting point in this, and then you can say, okay, it gives you perspective on what you can maybe do in retirement.
1: So I have friends who handle, they they have plenty of money, but they just mm-hmm. handle money so differently. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting, right? It's thank God they make mm-hmm. plenty of money. Because one couple I know, she, uh, he wanted to, it was her turn, like every six months they trade off paying the bills. And he would always get them paid on time, and she would pay them whenever she thought about it. And... There was a time when they like didn't have house insurance because she forgot to pay the bill. And mm-hmm. I was like, if you know, I said to my friend, if you know that that's not getting done, like how do you leave your house without house insurance, like homeowner's insurance? Mm-hmm. I have another couple where he... Never tracks anything. And his feeling is if he has money in his, his checking account at the end of the month, he's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, how do you not know like <laughs> where your money is going? I mean, he's an attorney. Like, I, is that how you treat your clients' funds? Like you just, you know, yeah. don't know. But, but I find that, and these are couples longstanding friends. They've been married each of them more than 30 years. They've, they found a way to make this work,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I couldn't live like that either of those
0: cases well you know when the paychecks are coming in and there's money in the bank you sometimes don't give thought to hey what happens when those paychecks stop coming in this is why it's so critical to really take a look at these things you know again i have clients i have one client who they did buy a muscle car the husband wanted it forever they have more money you know but they they live there's they have a spartan lifestyle as they say super nice people they're just fun they're great people And uh, she's very, very. You know, she just makes sure every. uh, You know, and that's why they're successful and had the money. But wait,
1: Spartan lifestyle. But he's driving a muscle car.
0: (laughs) Well, let me just say this: that took every (laughs) last breath. Every it took years. You know, the old water wears down the rock over time. Mm. That was, and that was the one thing but you know um, they should be traveling they could be doing all types of things they really don't i mean other than that you know they're they're again no, there's nothing and wrong with this you know the coupon cutters they, they don't spend much money and that was the one one thing that he was able to to get out of this and and that's uh that's been it but i
1: think that's really sad but it's well, a good you know, but it, it's sad it's sad that you can't let yourself enjoy the money that you've actually Saved, And Mm -hmm. that's really a subject, and we'll have to do a whole show on this idea, because I do think that people, mentally, emotionally, they get themselves to a place where they're just so Mm clamped down about, oh, you know, don't spend a dime. We need to have enough. We could live forever. You know, and they they just don't enjoy any of the money, and they don't let anybody else enjoy that. And Mm -hmm. that is... uh, I, I think in some cases that could, you know, break, break up a marriage. Listen, we have to take a short break. When we come back, we have had some questions about our recent show on Social Security, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, you can reach us, 630-934-1855, or go to alphawealthgroup.com. Stay tuned. You're listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink here with Tom Fortino, the founder and principal of Alpha Wealth Group. You can always find us, find Tom, 630 934 1855. He works 24 7 for you, folks. So um, call anytime, day or night. Alpha Wealth Group. I do. <laughs> I know you do. It sounds like a joke, but of course it really isn't. <laughs> AlphaWealthGroup.com. So. During the break, this is this is what you do when you're, you know, money radio people. You sit there and you continue the conversation offline, which is so unfair to everybody. So what Tom and I were talking about during the break were some of the numbers from Fidelity's kind of money and relationship uh, survey that they did, and the... Um, You know, I just wanted to run through some of these statistics and then, you know, we've got some steps for you to take because I I just think this is such a huge bone of contention. But 24% of people say they're often frustrated at their partner's money habits, but they let it go for the sake of keeping the peace. 48% disagree on the age they're going to retire. 51% disagree on how much savings is needed in retirement. 40% disagree on how much risk they're comfortable taking on in their investments, and a third disagree on whether they're savers or spenders. I mean, that's like a profound disagreement. Mm -hmm. And 34% disagree on their family's next big savings goals. So, Tom, is it any wonder that money is the number one reason people get divorced? They can't even agree on basic stuff.
0: You know, they always say communication is the biggest issue. And I used the phrase before, and I say it was when it relates to communication, if all else fails, try talking. And it's just amazing what can happen when you sit down and talk. But I would just say this. Here's kind of the call to action. Or I would say the challenge things to do. And I'll offer this information, but I would say financial organization is the first step. And then you can have the discussion. What do I mean by that? I mean, there's so many of you know, it's like, uh, maybe true in your case, Elise. you know, you have an old 401k, you may have an IRA, your spouse has two different accounts. You know, you have things that you may have had before your marriage. There's all of these things and they're not organized. So you know, we have the asset organizers, we have the document locators, we have the budget worksheets, because I think all too often we'll say, okay, where do I get started? This is where you get started. Because if you have a financial picture and a snapshot of everything, okay, now we can, okay, we've got it every, it's all in front of us, let's get to work. And so that's what I tell people where the starting point is, get organized. Again, I have these worksheets, I'm more than happy to email them to you. You can download them and you can add up, they'll say, okay, here's where your accounts are." What, who are the beneficiaries, how are they titled, what's my net worth, what are my contributions, and you can start to really figure out where you're at. You may even find money. We've had that discussion before. I um, love
1: that discussion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You'll find, And I've had this happen where people will find an account. They were totally, uh, they, it's like, oh, yeah, I have my old job. And, you know. and so it can be really, this is so important because uh, it's like knowing your business. Or if you're a Shark Tank fan, they always say, know your numbers. We need to know our numbers because if we don't know things and we sit down and say, here's what I want to do in retirement, here, okay, well, what do you have? What are you doing? And then there's things we can put in place once we define our goals between now and when we're going to retire, maybe to start to get there and, and, and get a higher probability of success. But this is really, I think, where it starts. I, you know, My wife and I take a day, we do it every year, at least once a year, we put it on the calendar, Let's go through everything we own. Let's get caught up. Let's see what we have. Let's review our beneficiaries. We pull out our estate planning documents. You know, you want to review those. Those are things that have, may have changed in your life that you're totally unaware of, or I should say forgot about. And so this is really where you need to start the process. Then you can have the discussion, okay, of our, our goals, and then you can start to put a plan in place. That's why it, I say these things, but go ahead.
1: No, I think that's, it, it's exactly right. But I know that there are couples, because I know them personally, Who, you know, one person in the relationship wants to sit down and have that conversation and the other one's like, we don't even have enough money to retire. I'm not even having the conversation. What do you do then when you have people who come to you who are on such different planets? Like call it planet retirement and planet whatever. But they're really in such different places that it's kind of hard to have that conversation about the future. What do you do then?
0: Well, it's almost this, I don't want to say the exact same process every time, but this is this discovery, right, of, okay, let's figure everything out. And I get come back to this organization. Do you know what your Social Security benefits are? I know we may talk about it later, but um, you may be surprised. And I just think all too often we're not sure. And so all of a sudden, you have a, a $30,000 benefit. Your spouse has a $40,000. All of a sudden, there's $70,000 of income you have in retirement regardless of your investments or savings. These are important things to know. If you have pensions, you contact your pension provider. You go through this discovery, and then maybe that person's attitude, I shouldn't say attitude or opinion of where they stand may change. You've really gotta start to look at some of these things, and that's why it's so important, like I said, to get organized, know where your income's gonna come from, know where your investments are. Even life insurance, you know, that's part of this organizer that I offered, Mm-hmm. And some people, they're not sure what happens if. And then there's all these other pa- impacts that could happen. But that's in on this organizer. You, you, you. I hate to use the term force, but if you fill it out, you're going to. It's going to require you to, to to look into things. What is my coverage? What happens if I pass away? Am I protecting my family and my spouse? These are not the funnest things to talk about, but it's all part <laughs> oh, of your it's plan. A the par- it's a walk in
1: the park. It's a walk in the park.
0: It's part of the plan. I'm sorry. You know, those are things. These unforeseen events that can just turn your plan upside down. Um, we should know these things, and so that's why I'm I, I keep harping on. That's the starting point in this process. Then you can start to have those conversations. So hopefully, you and your partner are on the same page, and. You can start working towards goals saying, hey, I'm going to start contributing here and you maybe contribute more to yours and we may open up a Roth. And, and then all of a sudden it starts coming together. And then that issue, Elise, you're talking about for the financial, people separating for those financial. Maybe we can provide some uh, help on that end.
1: Yeah, I, I hope so. <clears> and and we're certainly going to do that. Um, you know, one of the things that I think, Tom, when I I look at people who are on these kind of different Planets, right? Sometimes it's the feeling like it's really about safety and security. It's really about mm-hmm. thinking I'm never going to feel safe enough to stop working. Mm-hmm. Where uh, I think somebody else might say, "I do feel safe enough," and I know that inflation has really changed the calculus for so many people. Which sure. I think is why you know we have to look into things like, okay, can we balance things that will increase. You know, and keep pace with inflation over time, like social security payments and things that don't, um, and, and how we kind of balance that in an era of maybe a little bit higher inflation. Um, I do want to talk about social security because we did have a bunch of questions that came in, uh, about that during the, um, you know, during the last week. So 630-934-1855 is the number that you can reach Tom uh, when we're not on the air. AlphaWealthGroup.com. Download all of those sheets that he was talking about because I've done it. They're hugely helpful. And I know they'll be helpful to you. And we'll be right back in a moment with more of This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the second half of This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink. I'm here with Tom Fortino, the founder and principal of the Alpha Wealth Group. You can find us, find Tom, 630-934-1855, or go to alphawealthgroup.com. So over the last week, we've had some questions come in about our recent show on Social Security and Guaranteed Income, and we were just talking about that as we went into the break, and I think what people are really asking, Tom, is how do you take that pot of gold you've been saving and building up over the decades and turn it into an income stream? And we've got people mm-hmm. worried about Social Security and its solvency, um, all those different, you know, pieces. And in fact, the question that came in is, um, it was really, I think, sort of about that because you're mm-hmm. trying to balance the age that you take Social Security uh, for what they call the break-even. So I'm going to have you. Mm-hmm. Let me just read the question, and then you can sure. we can break it out. So. Question came in. This is a man. And he said, for Social Security, shouldn't you calculate the break even before deciding what to do? My break even is 82 years old before I start making more than my counterparts at 67. Can you please discuss the calculation? Thank you. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, First of all, what does he mean by break even?
0: Well, what he's saying is because you have a decision as to when you can take Social Security. You can take it as early as 62. You can defer it to age 70. It grows every year. So the break even is that decision. Then when do I claim benefits? So if I claim them at 65, my benefit may be 30000 a year. If I wait till 70, it may be 40000 a year. So there's a 10000 differential, right, if I wait those five years. 10,000 mm-hmm. more for the rest of my life. So the break-even idea is I'm not. going to forego the 30. I'm not going to take 30,000 for five years. I'm basically going to stop, wait until 70. That's 30 times five. That's 150,000 of Social Security benefits. I said, I don't want for now. I shouldn't say I don't want, but I'm going to wait so I get a higher benefit. Okay. And so I'm going to get $10,000 more starting at 70. How long does it take to make up that 150 I didn't take, right? And so I'm just throwing out numbers. In this example, it was 82 um, because I'm getting extra every year and it's going to make up for what I didn't take for a few years to get a higher benefit. I hope I explained that. It's a little hard on the the radio, but you're, you're, you're waiting for a higher benefit and there's a crossover point if you live till 95, well, you got a lot more money called your cumulative lifetime benefit because I waited to get a higher benefit and I delayed getting anything for a number of years. I gave up that benefit. So that's a that's what's called a break even point. Some people will look at that and say, "Wait, I got to live to 82 to make up for those years I didn't take it."
1: All right. I and have so, a que- well, ahead. let me ask you a question. So if you wait, I mean if the if the full retirement age now is 67, it's only waiting 3 years, right, to 70, 70 and a half. Correct. So Correct. it's 3 years of not taking that, but the higher benefit is helpful if your spouse outlives you, right? Mm-hmm. So, explain that because do, doesn't your spouse get half of the higher benefit if you're
0: married? Yeah. Well, the the are you talking about a spousal benefit or a survivor? Yeah. Benefit? So
1: if you let's say that you let's say you made all the money and your spouse stayed home, mm-hmm. so your spouse gets a spousal benefit, and the spousal benefit can be taken starting when at sixty two, right?
0: Yeah, the spousal benefit can be taken again at any time. Um, it's going to be reduced just like the, your your retirement benefit. But yeah, if you have a spouse that has not worked or has very low income or benefits, they can take up to half of your full retirement. So for example, if it's 67, your benefit's 40,000. Your spouse has a spousal benefit of 20,000. So combined, you'd have a $60,000 benefit And what Um, if
1: you wait to take it till you're 70 and a half? Do they get half of the higher amount or just half the full? Okay.
0: No, No, that's a, no. But they get the, as a survivor, if you predecease your spouse, then they get the, you know, their benefit goes away, but they'll get that 40,000 for the rest of their life. So I get the break even and I get these are different ways to look at it, but you know, you have to consider it more of a joint life if yours is higher. So if I have a $44,000 benefit, my spouse has a 30 and I pass away, that 44 goes to her. Okay. And so it's, this is kind of, it's, there's no perfect answer. There's a lot of moving parts here, (laughs) but um, keep in mind that higher benefit stays for both lives. So you want to give some consideration as to that decision. It's not it's not the easiest thing, but there's ways to look at it and make an informed decision on that um, to have the higher benefit for both your lives. So um,
1: if you are uh, male and you're older than your spouse, <coughs> uh, it's likely that she will outlive you um, mm-hmm. if you're married to a woman. And, and so if you have that higher benefit because you've waited to 70, uh, rather than take it at sixty seven, then she would get your higher benefit after you die. Correct. Which could be for six or ten
0: more years. Could be. yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: all right. And so the difference might be between let's say forty and forty four thousand uh, a year. So if she lives ten more years, it's an extra forty thousand dollars. It's a good amount. It's probably yeah. not life changing in most cases.
0: That's correct, I mean it's it's it, you know I've quoted the Lawrence Kotlikoff before who said the risk isn't dying, the risk is living, mm-hmm. so we want to try to maximize our benefit, but you know you just I guess my my take my point on this would be try to get as much information on it. Uh, there is no perfect answer it doesn't exist, but try to make an informed decision, and maybe you split the difference. you say, okay well, I'm not going to take it at 66. But I'm not going to wait and I'm not gonna wait till 70. I'll take it at 68. But, so those are things you can look at. But understand the consequences because these are technically irrevocable decisions. You can't make a change yeah. later on in life. <laughs> so Oops. it's important. And this is an important piece because it's an income stream that comes in for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, I, I should point out there's, a, there is <clears throat> one way to reverse it, and that is you have to pay back all the money that Social Security has paid to you, and then you can make a different decision. But most people aren't going to do that. And mm-hmm. so when you, you know, I mean, yes, if you got one month of money and you wanted, you were like, oh no, I made a mistake. Well, yes, mm-hmm. you can roll that back. But typically you this is your decision, and you're going to have to stick with it. So, yeah. and it's not like Medicare. Every year you can make a different decision if you want. Correct. Um, Okay, we're going to take a short break. There was a second question that came in, and it kind of rolls into one I want to talk about, uh, which is this MarketWatch story that I saw this week about a couple whose advisor invested their money and they lost 16%. (laughs) I mean, we've all lost a lot of money Mm -hmm. in the stock market recently. So I want to talk about this because the question that came in was about how do you vet An investment advisor, and I think uh, you're the perfect person to answer that, Tom. So Mm -hmm. uh, when we come back, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about vetting investment advisors and how to think about the right match for you. And I think it's going to be different for everyone. There's lots of different people with lots of different expertise and specialties and whatever. We're going to talk through all of that when we come back on This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink, here with Tom Fortino. Remember, you can always call us with a question, 630-934-1855. You can leave us a question or a comment or ask Tom to give you a call, particularly at alphawealthgroup.com, alphawealthgroup.com, and take a look at all the really great information he has on the website while you're there. I'm sure there'll be a lot that can help you with some of the things we've been talking about today. So, Tom, there was this column in Market Watch this week, which is a great financial website, by the way, and it tells the story of a couple who saved about a half a million dollars for their retirement, and they told their financial advisor they wanted a conservative approach. Mm -hmm. And then last year, they lost $88,000, like 16% of their money, and they were withdrawing $5,000 a month, uh, which was about 10%. and. Uh, the advisor's now saying to them, that's too much. You can't do that. And they want to fire the, they want to know if they should fire the advisor. Mm-hmm. And so I want to start this conversation by saying, what the heck is a conservative approach anyway these days, given that bonds have been a, mm-hmm. you know, not great way to go? And then how do you actually vet an advisor so you don't run into a situation where your values about money aren't sure. being well reflected?
0: Well, you know, when you talk about this conservative, moderate, I always say those are relative terms. Conservative to you may be different to me, to to anybody else. So really, you really have to understand what are they trying, what is the goal here? I always start with income. You know, that's the biggest part of it. You have to have the checks, you have to have the income that you don't outlive. And so that's really critical to the planning. It's not just about, you know, I'm an investment advisor rep, we do portfolio management. That's important, of course, but... You have to really look at the overall plan. So when you're looking and talking to somebody, you know, it's always obviously good to have referrals. And there's a lot of good people out there, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in this industry. It's it's like any other industry, but you know there's also people that may not match with with what you want. Um, you know this is not good or bad. There's some out there that just say, look, I'm going to manage your portfolio. If you have questions about taxes, go talk to an accountant. If you have questions about estate planning, go talk to an attorney. I just I'm not you know I'm not here to to work on those things or an income plan or any of those. Again, not that's not good or bad. But if you're looking for something more, then that's not the person you necessarily want to work with. So. Those are things, uh, part of it too is personal. I think you want to be with someone that you like and enjoy, you know, the. Uh, want to have a beer with, that, with having judge. Yeah, working with that person. You don't want to, you know, have any angst about, oh, I got to talk to this person, I have to go into the office or whatever. But that's just, it's a process. You should, re- you know, when you go see them, you know, there's going to be part of it is understanding what they do. Maybe talk to some. Hey, can I talk to some of the clients? And then you have mm-hmm. a conversation. This is a process if you really want to go through that. And that is a, a, the best that you can do. You meet them. Again, is there a fit there? Number two, what is the process? What do they do? And what do they provide? What services to you? Is that a fit? And then finally, as I said, if you want to talk to individuals that they work with, and then you can, you know, you're doing the due diligence.
1: Right. And there's, you really should, if you've got a registered investment advisor, you really should check their credentials right isn't it called mm-hmm. the like the ADV form like ADV1 and ADV2 or something
0: yeah there's form ADVs that can be provided to as well those tell what the, think-
1: tell what those are cuz i think people don't you know always trying to demystify the jargon i'm
0: sure <laughs> yeah in this industry it is really uh everything is very complicated with the terms they use but a form a d v is is the uh form that that describes everything it's it's everything about the services that are provided it's everything about people that work there it's everything i mean it includes everything it's a disclosure form it's a lot i mean you know some of them can be sixty seventy pages, but you know there's usually parts of it you want to focus on and look through but that's something you can look at too. A good one is referrals. Someone who's worked with someone for a while, has a track record, someone you know. That's really a good, um, usually a good way to go. Um, but then you have to do your work up front and see what, again, if there's a fit.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's important to sort of think think through the process, right? So you get some names from people. This is typically how it works, right? You, mm-hmm. A couple of different ways. You can obviously call Tom from listening to the show. You like him. Mm-hmm. He sounds sounds fun, whatever. Or you you know talk to your friends. They're going to give you some names. And now you've got, let's say, uh, there's some websites like Best Money Moves. We've got relationships with different financial advisors. And maybe you're on Best Money Moves and you're like, oh, I'm going to try one of these people. So you get your list, of however many people it is. And then you really want to vet not only just the person and not only just the company that they work for, but you also want to look at the trading company or the brokerage company that's behind the scenes, I think. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that whoever they're working with, whether it's an insurance company, that that insurance company has you know plenty of money. That if you're buying insurance from them, they're not going to go under. That they have a good rating for service mm-hmm. and for other you know financial stability. And the internet makes this so easy, right? All mm-hmm. financial advisors, registered investment advisors, certified financial planners—they um, have uh, you know numbers like the SEC registers. Those Mm -hmm. that right, Tom, don't you have a registration with the SEC?
0: Yeah, it depends on your licensing. So, again, this is getting a little much into the weeds. But if you're if I'm licensed to the SEC, you know, if there's an insurance person you're working with, which again is strictly that, they're not really in securities. Again, some people just deal with life insurance and types of insurance, long term care insurance, and so on, and uh, they may be specialized in that. They're not really governed by these bodies, which. Fine. It's fine. The state regulates that typically, but anyway, yeah. There's a lot of access where you can, you know, find out things and look up. And
1: you want to make sure, you know, you just want to make sure you're working with somebody who's on the up and up. It is so mm-hmm. easy to get taken these days. Think about all the people who fell for Bernie Madoff, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, and and that's just one example of, you know, people. You know, when they say to you uh, a red flag, Tom, I'm sure for you, for me is. I can guarantee a 27% return for the next 40 years. That is a big red flag.
0: Yeah, yeah. Anytime <laughs> someone uses the word guarantee, you're, you're not really allowed to unless, again, it's a fixed rate. But, yeah, you have to be careful with that. Now, most in cases, and is the same in ours, you know, we custody or it's a third-party custodian. Where is your money held? Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, those types of things, that's a third-party independent custodian. We have relationships with them so we can manage the accounts at them. So your accounts are there. So if someone says, where's your account? Well, it's at Fidelity who's managing it. Well, the Alpha Wealth Group, if that was the relationship. So you want the money held somewhere else. And in most cases, that's you can ask, where's the money custodied?" when you're talking with someone? That's where it's held. So it's at Fidelity. It's They're the ones overseeing it. You're just giving the advisor the ability to manage it on your behalf. So that's where that protection comes in, in this, in the, in the way it works, typically in this industry.
1: All right. So to go back to the Market Watch story about the couple that lost, had 500000 and then lost, you know, 16% of their investments, you know, is that enough reason to fire the investor? Like, how does that actually work? I mean, people lose money because the stock market goes down. And if you're what I would call fully diversified in the market, you, mm-hmm. you might lose money if the market goes down twenty percent.
0: Yeah, it's all relative to what did you benchmark against? What did the market do? I mean, if you look at last year, the S P was down eighteen to twenty percent. Even the aggregate bond index was down double digits, which is I think it was the worst performance by the bonds uh, ever. If it wasn't, yeah. yeah. And so um, it was a tough year. Now, if if the person is, you know, forthright and they're doing the best they can and they're doing a good job and it was some things, you know, what's the long term plan and does it fit? I mean, obviously, I'm not privy to everything that happened there, but that's really what you want to look at. If they weren't, if you look at the have get an explanation, if the explanation is, look, you were relatively conservative. We didn't take any unnecessary <laughs> risks here. Um, yeah, you
1: lost 16%. The market lost 22% that you're benchmarked again. Feel good about it.
0: Yeah, it's all relative. But again, yeah. and those are things to look at just as, uh, to help out and how do, you, how do you look at things objectively. It's yeah. never fun losing money. It's tough, and I don't like it any, at any point for anyone. But you want to, again, have some benchmarks and say relative to that, where did I, how did I perform? And then what's the long term? Where are we going from here?
1: Yeah. I, and just to kind of close this out, the first line of of my my thinking is the first thing you should be doing is having a conversation with the investment advisor, right? Don't just mm-hmm. go, you know what, you're fired, you lost 16%, right? The market doesn't always go up. You really just have to talk about it and talk about, you know, what you were expecting. And is that expectation even realistic? And, and all kinds of things. And I get mm-hmm. that you know, if you just have 500000 saved for retirement and now you're in retirement, losing that feels painful, especially when sure. they say you can't take out the same amount that you were taking out anymore. But if you were taking out 10% of your money, it's really hard to get a 10% return every year, which is what you need to keep that pot, you know, mm-hmm. sort of together. So anyway... More to come on that. Um, Thank you so much. We are at the end of our hour already. I know, Tom, there's so many questions I have for you. But I'm going to come back next week, and I'm going to make a list of all those questions so that we can continue this, because I think it's so helpful for people. Um, And for all of you listening, remember, you can call in and ask us Mm -hmm. a question, 630-934-1855, or leave us one at alphawealthgroup.com. Hey, Tom, I hope you have a great week. You too, Elise. Thanks so much, everybody, and thank you for listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN.